Faith in the wild. Well, listen, this morning, I've got a message for you. You ready for the word of God? All right, if you got a Bible, go to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. I want to talk to you today about building a brave heart. Building a brave heart. Anyone who remembers the old movie Braveheart and knows a little bit about the story, it's a true story about William Wallace and his fight to help his country uh, to have freedom. And there's these moments throughout that movie, and whether you agree with the movie or not, the, the, the point of the story is to stir up courage. And he says, you know, all men die, but few men truly live. And he talks to his guys about living with courage. He talks to his team about moving forward with this bravery that no matter what, I'd rather die living with courage than stay alive living in fear. I'd rather uh, die for a cause that I truly believe in than stay alive and be complacent my entire life doing nothing for other people. He, he was living with this brave heart. And really, in the Bible, God's the one who invented bravery. God's the one who shows us what it looks like to live with a brave heart. In fact, we're talking about faith in the wild. And faith in the wild is embracing a, a brave heart, a heart of bravery. And what does that actually look like? So let's go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. And they pitched camp. Um, between Soka and Azekah. This was right outside of Tel Aviv, Israel. And right outside of Tel Aviv, Israel, there was these two armies that had drawn up their battle lines. Saul and the Israelites assembled in one side of the mountain, and then the Philistines were on the other side. And between these two mountains was a valley. It was called the Valley of Elah, and it was called the Shephelah. So right there, 3,000 years ago, here's the Israelite army, there's the Philistine army, and in the middle is where the battle is going to take place. The battle always takes place in the middle. The battle always takes place in the valley. If you're in a valley right now, you're in a battle right now. The good news is you've got a God who's already promised you the victory over your enemies. But as the Philistines began to come, it says there was a man named Goliath, the champion in verse four. And he was from Gath and he came out from the Philistine camp and he was nine feet tall, nine inches. Just to kind of give some context, uh, I'm going to invite up Ty Barker. Ty, come on up here. Pastor Ty leads our men's discipleship class. And you stand there. This is about how the Israelites looked. He was twice their size. It says he was wearing 250 pounds of metal, 250 pounds of armor. He had a spear that was as tall as he was, a spear that was nine feet, nine inches. And here he is. He's shouting at the Israelites. In fact, 1 Samuel 17 says he doesn't shout once, he shouts day and night, uh, early in the morning and later in the evening, coming out throughout the day for 40 days. I defy the armies of the living God. Choose for yourself a man. Give me a man to fight me. And whoever wins this battle, whoever wins this fight, their people will be the servants to the other nation for the rest of their lives. This wasn't just a fight to see who was the greatest warrior. This was a fight for territory. This was a fight for the future generations of Israel. He was raising the stakes. He was saying, this isn't just about ego. It's not about who's the strongest warrior. Because whoever wins this fight is going to choose how this nation goes. Whoever, whoever wins this fight will choose the laws that this nation passes. Whoever wins this fight, the stakes have been raised in the United States of America. 
even in the last seven days. Whoever wins this fight will choose things that will be set for generations to come. You need to understand the fight that you're up against right now. I need to understand that this is no small fight. This is a fight for my kids' future. We're in a season right now where the world has to wake up that we are literally facing a fight for our lives. Jesus said that the end times will get fiercer and fiercer and the love of many will grow cold. But one thing he said is when the Son of Man returns, when Jesus comes back, when the second coming of Christ happens and he raptures the church and he reigns forever and he defeats the Antichrist and all of that happens. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you kind of know there's end times, there's a future, there's a book of Revelation. The one thing he says is when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find any brave churches, any brave Christians who are willing to stand up to the giants of their day? Here's what I've realized. When I was younger, Goliath looked bigger. Whenever I was, and I'm not even talking about younger in age, I mean younger in my faith. There were things that I faced in 2014 that seemed like this. I, I remember there was people who wanted to intimidate me. They said, who are you to pastor this church? You're just a little boy. Who are you? Who are you to, to, to minister to these people? Who are you to lead this ministry, this school, this dream center, this college? Who are you to lead? The, who are you to lead a board meeting? Who are you, you 29-year-old little kid? Who are you? And I would listen to that. And I would look at that. But the longer that I've been following Christ and the more I've been digging in my word, Goliath is starting to look smaller in my eyes. In fact, Goliath and I are starting to change places because he's not as big as he used to be. I'm starting to realize that my God is bigger than my opposition. You see, David had to win the battle in here before he could win it out here. Some of you are facing things that look big right now. And God goes, if you only knew who you were, if you only knew the identity, I've, if you only knew the authority I've put in, if you only knew the courage, the bravery that I've called you to walk in, that giant's smaller than he looks. That virus is smaller than it appears. Don't give that virus more power than it actually has. It's just a virus. It's just a virus. It's just a virus. And we're shrinking back in fear. You see, God wants us to rise up. Thank you so much, Ty. God wants us to rise up with courage in this hour. We are in a pandemic, and God is looking for brave hearts. He's looking for brave fathers, brave mothers, brave churches. Jesus said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And as the Antichrist spirit comes in, before Jesus returns, there is going to be just a sweeping amount of just bowing down to whatever the political pressure will be in the day. Churches will lose their love. Churches will lose their faith. Churches will lose their courage. They'll lose their spine, their backbone. And Jesus asked this question in Luke 18, 2,000 years ago. He said, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find any churches that are living with faith? Will I find any Christians that are walking in bravery? Will I find any men who have a brave heart, any women who have a brave Heart. And I'm here today to say this church is walking by faith and not by fear. And I'm looking at some people who showed up today with a brave heart to say, even in the middle of a pandemic, I'm going to worship my God freely. I'm going to gather with the saints and we're going to have some church in the middle of COVID-19. Come on, somebody. 
See, Goliath represented a spirit of fear, a spirit of intimidation. Goliath wanted to intimidate the Israelites, and he wanted to push them into a corner. He, he knew that if, if he could intimidate them, that he would win the war, because the war starts in the mind. If he could just get in their head, get in their heart, if he could intimidate them, the battle would be easier for him. And he knew if I can kill just one man on their team, they will be our servants for the rest of their lives. See, the stakes went up when he said that. He raised the stakes. We're living in a time where the stakes just got raised in America this last week. Because what we're facing right now is not just a battle over this week, not even just a battle over this year or a battle over the next four years. We're in a battle that will determine what our kids and our grandkids and future generations will walk into. If we don't recognize the fight we're in right now, and we think it's just a little thing. See, Goliath knew this is bigger than you realize. The Israelites were afraid because they knew this, this, the stakes just went up. That like the risk just got scarier because the rewards for this, like if you win this, you're gonna have no taxes. They promise anyone who beats Goliath, they get tax exemption. Come on, somebody. And then they get, uh, they get to marry the king's daughter and the king's gonna give them a lot of wealth. But whoever loses, you lose big. And for the rest of your life and your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives, you're gonna have to live with whatever the Philistines pass. Their idols will become your God. Their laws will become your laws. And your God and your ways and what God has called you to do will be gone. The battle was bigger than just a fight on the field. There was more attached to this fight. Now it says, when the, when the Israelites heard Goliath shouting, and he said this in verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Here Goliath is taunting. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They ran for the hills. They ran into the caves. They were running. Why? Because their king was running. And as a king goes, so goes the nation. As a leader goes, as a CEO goes, as a pastor goes, so goes the church. So if one man runs, we all run. But if one man stands, we all begin to stand. Billy Graham said, when someone takes a stand, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And God's looking for brave men and women who will stand up in this hour and be who God's called them to be. Now, I love the next verse. In verse 12, it says, now David. Somebody say, now David. So we, we are now introduced to the guy who's going to fight Goliath. But there's a backstory to David. David was stepping on the scene now, but he was being prepared way before this moment. Because wild faith doesn't just come all of a sudden. It's prepared in the secret place. I want to give you really quickly 10 ways to build a brave heart. Number one, wild faith grows in the secret place. Wild faith, brave hearts grow in the secret place. Go to 1 Samuel 16, one chapter prior to this, because David, even though he would fight Goliath here, he was really fighting Goliath a chapter before it when no one was watching. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, how long will you mourn over Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel. God rejected Saul because Saul was disobedient. He cared more about what people thought than what God thought. So he said, fill your horn with oil, Samuel, and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be the future king of Israel. 
So David would be anointed before he was appointed. You can be anointed to do something before anyone recognizes that you have the title, the position, or the authority to do it. The good news is you don't need their approval to walk in your anointing. Since when did God consult my critics on whether I'm qualified to be a minister? Since when did God make you the approval committee of what he's called me to do, <laughs> right? And, and oftentimes we're letting people who never qualified us in the first place disqualify us. We're allowing people who don't see the potential inside of us to determine our value and our worth. The Bible says that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the north or the south. Promotion comes from the Lord. You don't have to have the approval of everyone else. You don't have to have connections with a boss. You could even have a dad who doesn't see the potential inside you. David did. David had a dad who didn't see anything in him. He forgot about him. The day that the, the prophet came to anoint the king of Israel, David's dad didn't even want him in the house. He was embarrassed with him. And this tells me one thing, that you don't need that person's approval that you think you need for God to promote you to what he's called you to do. Stop looking for their affirmation. So Samuel shows up and he walks in the house. Jesse lines up his guys. And first one is the oldest son, Eliab. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. He stands right here. God says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, the measuring stick for leadership, the measuring stick for faith is not the head, it's the heart. This is why it confuses wise people in the, in the world's eyes. Because God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. He uses the weak things to confound the strong. He doesn't choose who you think he would choose. He doesn't do it the way you would imagine he should do it. World's wisdom doesn't make sense in God's kingdom. His wisdom is not of this world. It's different. So God says, you're looking at what man looks at. Man looks at age, education, stature. You know, we, we do all the things to make the outside look good, but God looks at the heart. You can get your hair done. You can put makeup on. You could focus on the outside, drive a nice car, live in a nice house. But God says, none of that matters if your heart's bankrupt. None of that matters if you have a bitter heart. None of that matters if your heart is set on throwing spears at people who've hurt you. You can have a title or a position, but the anointing will leave you when your heart is not surrendered to God. That's what happened to Saul. He stayed in his position, but he lost his anointing. Because the heart mattered more to God than the head. The heart mattered more to God than the outward appearance. So God said, Samuel, it's not him. Samuel said, is there any other sons? Jesse brings out one son after another son after another son. None of these sons are it. So then Samuel goes, is there anyone else? Are you sure these? Are? I mean, God told me I'm supposed to be at your house. And Jesse goes, uh, there is one more. <laughs> He's kind of weird. He's like a musical guy. He's really emo, just emotional, just out there writing songs on his harp, playing with the sheep. He's kind of dirty. He's, he's still going through puberty. His voice cracks every time he's trying to sing or talk. I don't think you want to see him. He's not much in my eyes. You may not be much in their eyes, but you are so much more in God's eyes. Whom man rejects, God accepts. So David's out there in the field and he's watching the sheep. And I just imagine David was 14 years old and he's out there watching the sheep. He's seeing the caravan pull up to his dad's house. He's watching the family have a gathering in there and he's thinking, awesome, another family party without me. 
Dad forgot to invite me again. Oh, well, Lord, you see me. God, you know me. And Lord, search my heart. God, if there's anything in me, remove it from me. Lead me in the way everlasting. My hope is in you. Show me your ways. Guide me in truth. Like his voice is cracking. He's going through puberty. Y'all weren't ready for that. In all my ways. I just imagine David. He's 14. He's got one hair poking out of his chin. Maybe one hair in the armpit. His voice is cracking. A couple pimples on his face. He's got his bandana. Come on. He's got, got his headband. He's like, my hope is in you. You know? And he's just out there. And Jesse's like, all right, come inside. Just come in here. Don't make a fool of yourself. Get that headband off. David comes in, and I think all of heaven was leaning over in this moment. I think God's looking down, smiling, and the angels are looking at God going, are you sure about this kid? God says, he's rough, he's dirty, he's weird, but he's got a brave heart. His heart's been growing in the secret place. He's been seeking me. He's been faithful in the secret place. He's been praying. He's been singing. He's been writing. He's been surrendering his heart every day that his dad forgets about him. He looks up to me. What do you do when you're forgotten? What do you do when you feel forsaken? Because you're not forsaken. God's with you. God was with David in the shepherd's fold. He was with David among the sheep. And as David walks in, God says, anoint him. This is the king. This is the future giant slayer right here. He's been fighting Goliath in the field. You just haven't seen it because Goliath's been dressed up as a lion first. And then he was a bear. He was a wolf. And now David's ready for him as a nine foot tall, nine inch man with 250 pounds of armor. He's been fighting this giant since he was a kid. And he's figured out how to do it when no one was watching. Which leads me to number two. Your faithfulness today brings you favor tomorrow. See, leadership is stewardship. How you handle the, the sheep determines whether God can trust you with the children of Israel. If you can't handle the job at Walgreens well, God can't trust you to be the CEO of that company. If you aren't faithful in your current season, as a student at ORU, as a student at Victory College, as a student at Bishop Kelly, as a student at Jinx, as a student at Metro, a student at Victory Christian School, if we aren't faithful to do the little things well, then how do we expect God to give us favor tomorrow for the bigger things? Your faithfulness today brings favor tomorrow. See, David was faithful in the familiar. He was faithful in the field. He was faithful when he was forgotten. He was faithful when no one was watching. He kept showing up to his job on rainy days, on cold days, on mundane days, on days when no one else would go to church. He was there and he was working and he was sweating and he was crying, but he was there because you don't have to be there perfect. You just have to be there. You don't have to be there all put together. You just have to be there. The fact that you're even at church is a testimony of your faithfulness. You might not look like you want to look today, but you're here. And because you're here, God has favor for you. You may not have felt like waking up and watching online, but you're tuned in and you're leaning in. And God has favor for us when we are faithful in the little things. You say, I don't know if that's biblical. Yeah, Jesus talked about it in Matthew 25. There's multiple principles of stewardship and faithfulness that brings favor and multiplication in your life. See, David's heart was growing in the wild. He was growing while he was faithful. And Saul's heart was drifting from God. I want to give you a contrast of David's heart and Saul's heart. 
Saul's heart was full of the fear of man. David's heart was full of the fear of God. When you fear God, you don't fear anyone else. When you fear God, you're not afraid of a giant. You're not afraid of a virus. You're not afraid of political pressure. You're not afraid of pleasing the masses. Saul's heart was worried. David's heart was set on worshiping. Where David grew courage and grew a brave heart to face Goliath was he began to worship. While Saul was worrying and paranoid, David would begin to worship. He'd begin to sing. You are my refuge. You are my refuge. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? And David would sing these songs and he would worship and he would find peace in the presence of God. See, David was thirsty for God's presence. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. You want to have faith in the wild? Be a worshiper. Be thirsty for God's presence. Saul was thirsty for man's applause. Who's going to clap for me? Who's for me? Who's with me? Who's going to affirm me? We are most like Saul when we have found our identity and what people say about us and how they feel about us. And we've forgotten what God says about us. And all of us are tempted to be like Saul. See, many of us in the room go, I'm always David. Trust me, I'm always David in the story. I'm, all, I'm, I'm the David in every story. And you're always the Goliath. You're always, you know, you're the Saul. No, no, the truth is sometimes we're Saul. And we need to get our heart back to a place of being after God's own heart. And some of you in the room go, yeah, but David made some pretty big mistakes, Paul. You're right. He did. And yet God still loved him. How did God love a sinner like David? Because David was quick to repent. Saul apologized because he got caught. David repented because he broke God's heart. It's a big difference right there. All of us sin. Don't, don't look at me like you never sin. We all sin. Some of us sin like Saul and some of us sin like David. But the truth is, how you handle your sin determines whether God can trust you with your future. So Saul is raging with jealousy. David's oblivious of his extraordinary confidence. David's walking out on a field to face Goliath while his brothers and everyone else is running and hiding in the caves. And Saul doesn't understand it. Saul is self-preserving. David is a servant leader. He's thinking about, I'm not just fighting this Goliath so that I can be called the champion. I'm fighting this Goliath because I want my brothers to have a future. I want my dad to have a future. I want Israel to have a future. I want our kids growing up hearing stories about God and not some idol from the Philistine army. David was fighting for other people's futures. What we're doing at the Dream Center in this church has nothing to do with me or AJ or anyone on staff. It has everything to do with you, your kids, your grandkids, the future kids of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the kids of, of, of America and the nations of the earth. What we're doing is for other people. And so Saul is running from the giant because it's all about him. David's running towards the giant because it's all about God and about the people that God's called him to help. Saul is faithless. David is faithful. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 17. David's anointed, but he's not appointed. He's about to walk in his anointing without a title, without a position, without anyone saying you're in charge. You can lead even greater when you don't have a title. So many people are waiting to take a step of courage until they get a title. And God says, you don't have to have CEO on your jacket. You don't have to have manager, supervisor, boss, leader of the department, pastor, mission. Like you don't need a title to be a great leader. You just need a brave heart. You just need courage. 
because that right there will shock everyone in the room. So 1 Samuel 17, verse 12, now David. Now David, everybody say now David, <laughs> was the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. He was the youngest, and the older brothers were out at war. And Jesse told his son David in verse 17, take this bread and cheese to your brothers and go check on them and see how they're doing. They're in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. They're not in the valley. They were on the mountaintop and they were hiding in caves because the, the battle was in the valley. Fear was on the mountaintop, but faith was in the valley and they would not venture down into the valley. And so here David finds his brothers hiding in the caves early in the morning. Verse 20, by the way, wild faith wakes up early in the morning. Brave hearts get up early in the morning. This morning I got up early just for you. And I was hiding from my kids because they find me early in the morning. <laughs> we got four little kids, six years old, five years old, two years old, and one years old. And they're all looking and I'm like hiding and Ashley's texting, where are you? <laughs> and I was, I was in the secret place. I was hiding this morning. But David got up early and he went to do what his dad asked him to do. He was faithful to his father even when his father wasn't faithful to him. And he set out just as his dad directed. He reached camp and he saw his brothers. He saw all of Israel drawing up their lines facing each other. He left his things with the keeper of supplies. He left his sheep with someone to watch over them because that's what faithful people do. They make sure that everything's taken care of. And he goes towards Goliath. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you know what will happen for the man who comes and kills this giant? The king will give him great wealth. The king will give his daughter in marriage and the king will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So David said, what do I have to do? And why is this uncircumcised Philistine defying the armies of the living God? Let's take this guy on. So David's getting excited. And when his older brother hears him, Eliab, he says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep you have? I know your heart. You're conceited. You're arrogant. That's why you're here. See, when, when people are walking forward with faith, people who aren't walking forward with faith start judging everything that someone's walking forward with faith. We start assuming motives we, because we want them to accept the same limitations we've accepted. We want them, hey, you, you don't belong out there. You belong back here with us. Besides, I know where you came from. I know what you used to do. You're still the little boy that you always were. See, Eliab was connected to David's history, and he didn't realize Goliath was connected to David's destiny. There's some people who are so obsessed with your past, all they see is the little you. They can't see who God sees you to be. So they see you as the old addict. They see you as the abusive man that you once were. They see you as the woman who was crazy. They see you as the person that you used to be five years ago, three years ago, two years ago. They see you before you went to rehab, before you went to discipleship class, before your marriage got better. So they want to keep you back there because they don't like you advancing. And they're saying, go back to who you used to be. Go back to the box I had you in. But God's called you to break that box. God's called you to shatter that box. The enemy wants us fighting with our brothers instead of fighting the giants. If I can just get you in a sideward battle, distracted with your fellow church members, then I can keep on wreaking havoc on your nation. 
While the church argues about masks and social distancing, I'll pass laws and bring perverted stuff on every network. While the church isn't paying attention because they're fighting over these little things, I'll be in the deeper end and I'll take your whole nation down with me. Goliath was shrinking the nation back because they were fighting cyber battles. David looks at him. He says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Don't we have a bigger battle to face than this little thing right here? Why are we fighting over this? We have something much bigger in front of us, something that, that will change our entire nation and generations to come. And so David just moves on. And I want to tell you real quickly, number three, the third point in, in building a brave heart is we've got to see God the way that God's word says about him. See God through what God's word says about him. The reason why David didn't get pulled into this battle, the reason why David didn't bow down to the political pressure or the fear that everyone else was running is because David knew greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You might not believe in the God that I believe in, but don't you try to bring your limitations on my faith. Don't you try to shut down how I see God. You may not see God as a great God, as a good God, as a father. See, some people see God as the one who brought the virus. And some people see God as the one who's going to cure the virus. Some Christians are viewing God through the lens. And, and I started this year off with 2020 vision. I, I preached a, a message with these glasses. And I haven't preached with them since then because the pandemic hit. And I was like, maybe it's not about the 2020 vision. And God said, no, it still is. Because how you see this pandemic, how you see God determines how you respond. 2020 is still a word from God. It's still, a, it's still a year of vision. And the stakes just went up. Now, 2020 vision is so much more important because what we're facing requires people to see things through the right lens. If you're looking at it through CNN lens or Fox News lens or MSNBC lens, if you're looking at it through everyone else's lens, you're going to miss what the Bible has to say about what's going on right now. The Israelites had a chance to take the promised land 40 years prior to when they did. But because 10 guys weren't looking at the promised land with the right glasses, they had the wrong. You need to get your God glasses on. You need to get your God goals. God goals. <laughs> you need to get Godfidence. Godfidence. Come on, confident God. Y'all aren't following my dad jokes right now. How you see God is the most important thing about you. A.W. Tozer said this, how you see God, how you view God determines how you handle all of life's adversity. God is not your problem, he's your answer. Your response to life's circumstances is a direct result of your perception of God. Number four, you've gotta see yourself through what God's word says about you. When you have people assuming motives, questioning you, saying you're prideful, saying you're conceited, putting you down, you're unqualified, you're not ready for this. You're too little. You're too big. You're too skinny. You're too short. You're too tall. You're the wrong person for this. You made too many mistakes. You cheated. You lied. You stole. The enemy always tries to remind you what you aren't and what you can't do. But God comes in with this word and he says, no, you're more than a conqueror. Greater is he that's in you than he. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There is nothing that separates you from the love of God. If God is for you, who can be against you? There are more for you than those that are against you. I know the plans I have for you, plans that are good, plans to give you hope and prosper in your life. See, God has a word over you, and we've got to stop listening to everyone else's words over us and start listening to what God says about us. David had to win in the mind before he could win on the field. 
You've got to win on the inside before you win on the outside. So David was determined. He could take on this giant. He was determined with faith because he knew whose his God was and he knew whose he was. He took the limits off of his. See, when you know who your God is and you know who you are, you take the limit off and you start going, anything's possible. God can do anything. God can do anything. This debt is not too big for my God to wipe out. This problem is not too big for my God to fix. This virus is not too strong for my God to cure. What have we placed a lid on that God says it's time to take the lid off? It's time to start believing big. It's time to start believing that nothing is impossible. Number five, we got to see our problems through what God's word says about them. Goliath represented a significant threat to Israel. But to David, Goliath represented an opportunity. I was talking with our six-year-old the other day, and I said, Liam, what is God speaking to you right now? And he said, oh, steps. I said, okay, tell me about steps. And he goes, well, just like I have to learn how to play football and I have to take steps. And he's playing football, and he scored a touchdown yesterday. Come on, somebody. He knocked somebody down on the field. It was flag football. Just stiff-armed him. I was running down the field. I was like, yes. This mom was like, that's not social distancing. I was like, he's my son. I'm so glad that our God does not social distance, that he runs right there with us and he hugs us and he's right there for us. So so I'm talking to Liam and he goes, just like I have to learn football step by step. He said, dad, daddy, each practice, each game, I'm taking another step and I'm getting better and I'm getting better. And he was telling me this at our house and we have some steps at our house and So he says, with each practice and each game, I'm becoming a better football player. And he said, just like that, Christians have to keep on taking steps. And we can't get we can't get stuck on a step. We got to take another step. I was like, whoa, Liam, you need to preach, bro. Then you got a sermon inside you. See, David saw Goliath as a step towards his destiny. Everyone else saw it as something that was too big to face, too big to handle, too big to attack. David saw Goliath as too big of a target not to miss. He said, oh, I got a slingshot. I can kill that guy with one stone. They're like, a slingshot's not going to work, David. See, but David knew the power that was in him. He knew the potential. He knew his God. Don't let anyone talk you out of what God's put inside your heart. Don't let anyone tell you you can't. Don't let anyone tell you it's not. They don't know what's inside you. You may not even know what's inside you. God's put so much inside of us that I think sometimes we limit what our God can do. So David looks at Goliath and he goes, oh, yeah, just like the lion, just like the bear. I'm going to take out this giant. And it's all part of God's plan. See, every problem is an opportunity for God to show his glory in your life. If it's a problem in your marriage, a problem in your health, your finances, stop seeing it as opposition. Start seeing it as an opportunity. Right when this pandemic hit, you know what I thought? Take another step. Open up the church. Get up on the roof. Step out on the the lift. Get back inside the building. Start feeding the hungry. Everything is steps. And if we'll walk by faith and we'll live with faith in the wild, I'm telling you, our heart will only get more and more brave and ready for what God has in store for us. Number six, be your biggest encourager. Because what happened next is David said, I'll take on this giant. Look at this in 1 Samuel 17, the courage that he walks with. He says this in in verse 32, David comes to Saul and he says, let no one lose heart. 
Braveheart is here. Let no one lose courage on account of this Philistine. Your servant, a.k.a. me, David, will go and fight this giant. And Saul said, you are not able. You can't do this, David. You're too small and he's too big. He's been a warrior from his birth. And you're just getting started. There's no way you could take on this giant. I love how David responds to the criticism. And it was, I think it was constructive criticism. I think Saul was just trying to, you know, warn him like, you're going to die. <laughs> I'm just looking out for you, man. We're all going to die. That's how Saul saw himself. None of us can do this. Saul wanted everyone to accept his own lid. Saul wanted to take the lid that was on his mind and put it on David's mind. Saul's limitations and his fear, as the leader goes, so goes the whole nation. As the pastor goes, so goes the church. As the CEO goes, so goes the company. So when a leader backs up in fear, and we all need to do this, we all, need to, we all need to do this. We all just need to bow down to the political correctness. We don't want to be canceled, so let's not say anything. Let's not stand up for God. We don't want to be canceled in the cancel culture that we're living in. And so the whole nation was backing up with Saul. And David, oblivious of his own confidence, just walks right up there. I'll do it. And Saul says, no, 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 get back here. Get back where you belong with the rest of us. And David says, no, 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 you don't understand. Watch, David begins to encourage himself. He recalls his victories. Most of us are recalling our mistakes every day, but David starts to recall his victories. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When I was in the hidden place, the secret place, when I was in the dark and no one was watching, I was passing tests. I was taking care of business. I was taking names. I was kicking tails. I've been fighting when no one was watching. I've been working out when no one was looking. I may not look like much to you. I may not be your cup of tea, but I'm God's cup of tea. I may not be the preacher you would have picked, but I'm the guy that God anointed. I may not be the one that everyone thought would do this, but by golly, I got a bravery inside of me that was born in adversity. I was born for this moment. I was made for this pandemic. I was born for such a time as this. I was made for this giant. You don't know what I've walked through. And listen, David says, this ain't my first rodeo. When there was a lion or a bear that came after my sheep, I went after that lion or bear. And when I went after it, I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when the lion came back and turned on me, I ran after that lion. I seized it by its hair and I ripped its jaw out with my bare hands. I love the Bible. It's rated R and it's just full of courage. Don't water down the Bible. No, we shouldn't say that kind of stuff, Paul. It's, we need to keep it G-rated. No, we need to keep it the rate that it is in the Bible. Just raw and unfiltered. God loves a raw and unfiltered man. A raw and unfiltered a woman who just fears the Lord. Who just calls it like it is. I was reading something the other day from this woman preacher that was on Twitter. And she was just calling out the darkness. And I thought, you go, girl. You, you get it. You stand up. God's looking for men and women who aren't afraid to speak the word of God. Who aren't afraid to stand up to the giants of the day. And there are giants of the day. There's darkness that's trying to take over 
so many places. There's hurt, there's pride, there's racism, there's unforgiveness, there's all kinds of meanness, there's sin, there's lust, there's perverted stuff being just spewed out on, on networks and TV channels. And, and it's time for the church to take a stand and say, Goliath, you uncircumcised Philistine, you get your hell out of our nation and out of my house. Hell's trying to take over. It's time for heaven to show up and kick hell out. And we are citizens of heaven. All right, so David starts encouraging himself. He says, I can do this. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear will rescue me. In other words, he said, I can do this not because of my charisma, not because of my skill, not because of my Enneagram, not because of my personality, but because the Lord lives in me. Because God did it for me, he can do it for me again. If God did it back then. So Saul says, okay, you do it. You go and the Lord will be with you. And then he starts putting on his armor on, on David. He says, wear this, wear this. This is what we all wear. Wear what I wear. Think how I think, act how I act, speak how I speak. Take on my traditions for your generation. And David said, I can't wear what you wore. I got to rock what I got, which is the seventh point here. Rock what you got. Somebody say rock what you got. It's a dangerous thing to want to be like somebody else. It's a dangerous thing when we start letting the world dress us up like them, to look like them, think like them, be like them. When people try to put you in the box and say, this is how we do it. I got to rock what I got. You got to be an original. You got to be unique. There's something special about you. Man, there's a lot of people that I look up to, and there was a time in my life where I wanted to be just like them. In fact, right when I stepped in as pastor, I started wearing my dad's shoes. I had a pair of his shoes, and I was trying to wear his shoes, and they didn't look good on me. And someone came up to me, and they were like, those shoes don't look good on you. And they gave me a pair of boots. They were like, you need to rock your own shoes. You need to wear your own shoes. And I did, and I'm wearing them now. And I stopped trying to be like him, and it wasn't you know, I love my dad. My dad was a man of integrity. I want to model his, his spiritual life, but I don't want to be just like his personality because God gave me a unique one. God gave you a unique one. Stop trying to be like your dad. Stop trying to be like your mom. Stop trying to be like your heroes. God gave you a unique personality, and God wants you to rock what you got. God gave Moses a staff. God gave David a slingshot. God gave Peter a fishing boat. And you might go, well, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a redneck. I like to fish. Is there, can God use me? I mean, I'm a different personality. I don't know what I'm on the Enneagram. I'm like a 13, if there's even a number on there. I'm like a, I'm all of them. Some of you have all kinds of personalities. You got like six of them. But God says, I like you. And I want you to use what I've given you. And I want you to rise up. You're a masterpiece created to do great things. Number eight, talk back to your giants. Don't let the giants do all the talking. Don't let the giants own the volume on the field. So Goliath starts shouting at David and he says, who are you? You come at me. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And I love how David shouts back at him. You come at me with the sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Come on, David had his headband back on. This day, the Lord's going to deliver you into my hands, and I'm going to feed your carcasses to the birds and the wild animals. 
David had faith in the wild. And he said, it's time today. I want you to know, and I want everyone here to know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear for the battle belongs to the Lord and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly towards the giant. Right now, there are things coming closer towards us. Number nine, you've got to attack this giant quickly and you got to make sure he's dead. You got to attack this giant quickly. David didn't put off for tomorrow what he had to get done today. Some of us are waiting to conquer bad habits that we know we should have gotten rid of a year ago. Some of us are waiting to be free of addictions that we know we should have signed up for that class a year ago. And God's saying it's time to attack this thing now. Now. Now, David. Now, David. Sling your stone now. You have one chance. You've got a window of opportunity before this year's over. You've got to do this now. And once you do it, cut the head off. Stop, stop killing things halfway. You know those crazy movies where they think they kill the bad guy and he's like laying there and then he hops up with a gun and he's like we're like, we didn't kill him all the way. And we're all yelling in the living room like, he's not dead. Turn around, he's not dead. Tommy Lee Jones, he's not dead, get up. My wife and I, we had a little animal in the backyard that was attacking our dogs and Ash was like, I don't know what it is, go out there and kill it. So I go out there with a shovel and it was, a, it was a possum. And the possum was messing with our dog. And I go out there and I smack that possum with a shovel. And he falls over like this. And Ashley goes, is he dead? I was like, I think so. Go get him. I'll get the trash bag. You throw him in the trash bag. So she's walking over towards the possum. He's laying there like this. And she goes, are you sure he's dead? Come over here and help me. And so I was like, all right. So we get over there. I go to lift up that possum and that possum goes like this and came after me that thing was not dead i took that shovel and i go for all the animal lovers out there we love all that's the only animal i've killed there's a few more but that's the only one i've killed in my backyard sorry he was messing with my dogs you got to make sure that thing's over. Some of us are letting things live in our bedroom that we should have cut the head off a while ago. We're letting attitudes, we're letting old flings stay on our phone. Threads, direct messages, we're letting things stay that we should have cut off a long time ago. You know better than that. Stop entertaining that. You go, well, Paul, don't, don't be so tough on me. If you don't kill it, it's going to kill you. I'm looking out for you. If David didn't cut Goliath's head off, Goliath was going to jump back up and not just take David out. He was going to take David's family out. If you don't cut the head off of that thing, it won't just mess with you. It'll mess with your kids. It'll mess with your future kids. If you're single and you haven't had a child yet, I'm telling you, cut the head off today. David flung that stone, that stone knocked Goliath to the ground. Then David got on top of Goliath, took the sword out and went phew, phew, and slit his throat, just cut it. Y'all like, this is a really intense sermon. He picked the head up with the hand and he's just carrying that head around. This little 14 year old boy, come on, talk about a warrior. That's the Bible right there. And that day the Israelites routed the Philistines, but David thought to himself, I've done it. I fought the battle. This was where my heart 
became brave. This was the brave heart. This was my battle. But here's point 10. Realize that every victory leads to another battle. Every victory leads to another battle because right after this, the real battle would begin. Saul, when he saw what happened to David in 1 Samuel 18, it says he became so angry and jealous that he kept watch over David from that day on. He chased him and he threw spears at him. And the real brave heart would be not killing a giant, not cutting off the head. The real brave heart would come when David had a chance to kill the king that was trying to kill him and he would choose forgiveness instead. He would choose not to throw spears. God used Saul's madness to break David's heart to become the greatest king in the Old Testament to prepare the way for Jesus. God will walk us through difficult things, difficult people, difficult situations, and he will say, this is where the heart becomes brave. When you have a chance to get revenge, when you have a chance to throw a spear at someone who's thrown a spear at you, but instead you choose to forgive, you choose to honor, you choose not to say a word, you choose to love, you choose to worship in the caves. You find out that God is all that you need because that's for David what was left. His dad forsook him, his brothers forsook him, his best friend Jonathan at one point forsook him, his king forsook him, but God never forsook him. And for David, his brave heart became the king. He became the man after God's own heart as he continued to just surrender to God through every season of his life. I want us to stand to our feet all over this room. If you would just close your eyes, bow your heads. I just feel to pray for some people today. You're facing some giants. You're walking through some battles. Some of you are facing some very difficult situations. Maybe you feel like your heart has kind of drifted away from God. Maybe your heart feels afraid, discouraged, weighed down, worried, paranoid about the future. With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you just need to bring your heart back into that place of surrender with God. I want you to raise your hand. Yeah, all over this room. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you if you're facing a battle right now, you're walking through a battle right now. I want you to raise. I want to pray for those that are going through a maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in finances, maybe it's just mental health, emotional, just trying to not throw away your life right now. You're just in a battle to stay alive. I feel to pray for people right now. You're looking at things and your eyes are full of fear, discouragement, and you need to get your vision repaired. Like you just need to get your faith back your hope back. You need to see this victory before you see it. You need to get it back in your heart that this thing is not going to end you. This is not how it ends. And before I pray over you, let me say this. In the last service, a girl who was dead in August, our church prayed for her. She came back to life. She was brain dead for a, a week in the hospital. Then her brain started functioning as our church was praying during the victory conference. And she hasn't been in church, but this morning she showed up to church live in person. And she said, Paul, She's walking, she's talking, she doesn't have a wheelchair, she doesn't have a walker. She said, they told me I would be a vegetable the rest of my life. They told me that I would never walk or talk or be able to think again, that I would be a vegetable. If I live, I'll be a vegetable. She said, here I am. And I was worshiping this morning, I was singing, I had my hand out, my hand functions right, I can take notes, I'm able to speak, I'm able to think clearly, I'm able to understand things, my brain works. She's 28 years old and she said, Paul, uh, 
She said, your sermon today reminded me of part of the battle in the hospital because she said every day the doctors and nurses were saying things that were causing discouragement to fill my heart. And even though I couldn't respond, I could hear what they were saying, that there was things that were going to stay a certain way in my life the rest of my life. She said, I had to, even though I couldn't get the words out, she said, I had to mentally say, this is not how it ends. 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 God's not finished. My best days are still in front of me. I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe a wife, maybe a mom, maybe maybe a dad, a husband, maybe an ex. I don't know who I'm talking to. Someone needed to hear that. This is not how it ends. This is not how it ends. And if you raised your hand or you should have raised your hand, you just need prayer. You're in a battle. I want you to leave your seat. Come down to this altar today. It's time to get your heart brave. It's time to get your heart full of faith. It's time to get your eyes full of hope. It's time to get that confession back in your spirit. This is not how it ends. This is not, I am not going to be defeated. I am more than a conqueror. I am going to rise above this. I'm going to see a victory. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but Lord, I'm surrounded by you. Come on, let's cheer on brave men, brave women. Maybe you're fighting an addiction. Maybe you're fighting something that's been eating you up. It's been stealing your energy. It's been stealing your time. It's been messing up all your relationships. Today's the day to cut the head off. Today's the day to kill that giant. Today's the day to bring it to the altar, to say, I am done with this. Let's worship for a moment. Let's sing this for a moment. Go ahead, y'all. forgotten about you. He cares about your needs. He cares about your tears. He cares about your story. I don't get to choose every situation that I encounter, but I do get to choose my story. I get to choose the story I'm going to tell one day. I don't get to choose the spears that are thrown at me, but I do get to choose my story, whether I throw them back. You get to choose how you respond to your circumstances, your giants. And Lord, I just pray that that God, we would be filled with a story of faith. God, a story of hope, a story of forgiveness, a story of trust, a story of surrender. God, that in this room, there's testimonies that are still being written. God, I thank you, Lord, these that are at the altar, they're gonna have a testimony at the end of this year. Lord, of how you showed up in their health, in their finances, in their relationships, God, in their job. Lord, in their dreams, against those habits, those addictions that have been fighting against them. Lord, I thank you. They're going to have a testimony of freedom, a testimony of hope, a testimony of restoration, a testimony of God working together all things for good, a testimony of your prosperity, a testimony of Jehovah Jireh meeting their needs. This is not how it ends, my friend. This is not how it ends. It may look like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by God. You're surrounded by God. You're surrounded by songs of deliverance. I want to encourage everyone in this room. We're in a season right now, even though not everyone responded to the altar. And, you know, I was asking myself, how many people are in a battle? And I honestly believe we're all in a battle right now. We didn't all choose this battle, but we're in it. There's a battle going on in our nation right now. There's a battle for love loving your neighbor. 
loving people that are different than you, that think different, that have different views than you. We're in a season where our nation needs the love of Jesus like never before. And we're in a season where our nation needs truth. There's a lot of confusion in our country. There's a lot of confusion around COVID-19, a lot of confusion around how to handle it all. And I believe God's called us as a church to be a light. And I feel in my heart to ask you to take this week, take a moment. You know, I said faith grows in the secret place. Take a moment this week, a couple of days this week where you just spend time praying for our nation, praying for our nation. The Bible encourages us to pray for our leaders, pray for our president, pray for our governor, pray for our mayor, pray for our vice president, pray for our Supreme Court justices, pray for what's going on in our country right now. You might go, well, Paul, that's not my battle. It is because you live here. And God's called you to be a citizen of heaven in this nation. As a citizen of heaven, you got to pray. And I just encourage you this week, use your voice to bring life and to shut down strife to pray, to pray for our leaders. God, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, you know what they're facing right now. You know what our country's facing. I pray for healing, God, where there's been strife and turmoil and pain. God, I pray for healing families, God, who've lost loved ones through this whole season, this whole pandemic. God, I pray for those in the room, Lord, that have been just filled with confusion, God, that you're going to give them clarity. You're going to give them faith over fear. You're going to give them hope, God, over depression. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that they're going to have forgiveness over bitterness. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that in this battle they're in, they're going to believe that the battle belongs to you. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you give us eyes to see things the way you see them. Lord, help us not to look at things the way the world tells us to look at it, but the way that you call it. Just say this with me. Jesus, I surrender to you. I repent of sin and I receive your forgiveness. And I believe in you. You are my God. You are well able to conquer everything that comes against me. So, Lord, I trust in you. I'm going to see the victory. I'm going to see restoration. I'm going to see healing. I'm going to see salvation. Lord, I know you're with me. You are for me, not against me. And I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, Victory. God bless you.